So let's read Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. In chapter 12 of Daniel, verses 1 to 3, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who is charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. And verse 13 of chapter 12, But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let's uh, read together again from God's Word, this time from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. John chapter 11 and Jesus' own words. Jesus said to her, that's Martha, mourning the loss of her brother Lazarus, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. Well, let's pray as we begin. Father, our prayer today is for understanding. We do not want to reflect on Jesus' resurrection and the promises in the Bible of resurrection to life eternal for believers in some vague sense. We want to understand clearly 
that we might respond appropriately in deep devotion and zealous commitment in light of the glorious hope we have in Christ Jesus. We pray too for assurance and comfort, for many of us have doubts. Help us to be honest with our doubts. Bring your word to bear upon them. The doubts might be replaced with certain assurance. All of us have experienced or are keenly now experiencing the sadness and the grief and the difficulties of living in a world where death reigns. For some, a deeply personal recent experience. Help us to be honest with our grief and bring your word to bear upon that realm of our experience that we might be strengthened in the glorious hope of his words, I am the resurrection and the life. And finally, our Father, we pray for those of us who do not yet understand what your word, the Bible, says about resurrection to life eternal. Today, will you give understanding? And through the response of faith, will you give peace and assurance to needy souls? All these things we pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Today is Resurrection Day. Today is the day that we celebrate. Am I booming, David? Little tweak. It's just my ears. Perfect now. Today is Resurrection Day. It is the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because of his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, today is the day that Christian believers can celebrate their own hope, certain hope of resurrection to everlasting life. If you're not yet a Christian believer, I have the extraordinary privilege of telling you this morning the answer to death. And what good news that is. All you need to do is believe in Jesus. It might well be that today in the world, I'm sure this has happened as much of the world is now asleep. It might well happen in this country. It might well happen here that on Easter Day 2019, some people make peace with God for all eternity. What a reason for celebration that would be. I have no doubt that when Sam got up this morning, he had to rewrite his prayers as he looked at the news. But that shouldn't be seen by us as events that in some way are unfortunate that they happened on Easter Day. These terrible events, the fragility of human life, is exactly why Jesus Christ died and was raised again. 
the glorious light of resurrection can only be fully and rightly understood when set against the awful reality and darkness of death. Death is the great enemy of humanity. Paul describes it in Romans as reigning. Death reigns in this world. Mortality runs at 100%. I spent some time this week, as I often do, in a graveyard. I recommend it. A number of people after the first service said they also enjoy it. You know what? Here's a good thing to do. Go to a graveyard and count how many graves you have to go by until you see some hope on one of them. I read one this week. It said, fluttering in the sky. And these are written out of deep grief. Not glibly, are they? The, the light of resurrection shines brightest in the face of death. After Stephen Murray's funeral last month, for those of you who are visiting today, Stephen was a, a lovely Christian man who died in his early 60s recently with a thought through clear, bright faith in resurrection. And yet his experience of dying and those of us who were able to walk that path with him, was really awful. Grief for him and those who loved him was real. Not hopeless grief. It never became hopeless, but it was grief still and real sadness. And in the days following Stephen's funeral, I wrote at length, almost long enough to be an essay, in part for personal reasons as his friend, to help me come to terms with his loss, and the title of what I wrote is called The Shock and Awe of Death. Um, you can borrow it if you like, although I don't think you want to read it, because it is a description of all of the deathbed scenes that I have been part of, and the funerals, of which there are many. To write, though, for me about the reality of dying and death helps me speak about the glory of the light of the resurrection. To help me write about the experience of Christians going through that dark valley, when I am able to bear testimony to how in that dark valley the promises of resurrection to everlasting life became, how can this be, but it's what I have seen, more and more real to them, more and more owned by them, more believed in them, not, surely, it would be impossible, them holding on to false hope, but surely sure and certain hope, supernatural hope that is unshaken by what is happening and indeed grows stronger and stronger as their life in this world comes to an end. Every time I have seen a Christian die, their convictions and their clarity and their confidence in resurrection grows stronger, not weaker, as their life grows weaker. How can that happen? Because it is supernatural. 
It is Christ, Christ the victor over death, living in them by His Holy Spirit. When I fear my faith will fail, I will hold Him fast. That's not how the song goes. When I fear my faith will fail, He will hold me fast. People's faith is not strong when they go through the valley of the shadow of death because they hold on to Jesus. Their faith is strong and shines stronger as they come closer to standing in the light of glory because Jesus holds on to them. Now, that's what I've seen. And if you want to read the essay, you're welcome to it. There are one or two bits in the essay about the observation of unbelievers when they die, which is altogether different. They are desperate not to die, and all at sea in a storm of fear. Now, the glorious light of resurrection can only be fully and rightly understood when set against the awful darkness of death. And that's not just me making that happen this morning. That's the logic of the gospel. For example, Good Friday, which is all about the death of Jesus, is only three days from Easter Day. It's not ten years apart. It's right up against the other. The glorious light of resurrection is said in the gospel alongside the awful darkness of death. And which one wins, death or life? That might seem obvious if you are a Christian, but the logic of this world is life, then death. The logic of the gospel is death then life. It's a reversal. For the Christian believer, the order is death, then life. And to establish a reign of grace and life, a battle with death would be needed. And that battle is what Jesus Christ engaged in and won through his death and resurrection. Paul writes in 2 Timothy our Saviour Christ, who abolished death and brought light and immortality to light through the gospel. We're going to sing at the end, Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son. Endless is the victory thou o'er death has won. Lo, Jesus meets us, risen from the tomb. Lovingly he greets us, scatters fear and gloom. And then listen to these last two lines. Let the church with gladness hymns of triumph sing, for her Lord now liveth, death has lost its sting. Let me pose a straight question. Has it really? I mean, it's not my experience that the sting has been taken right out of dying. I mean, we have to go through death in this world before resurrection to everlasting life, and there is a sting. But I say this with all 
the affection and feeling of a Christian pastor, and I hope you know that is sincere, it is a tiny, tiny, tiny pinprick compared to what it would have been had Jesus not died and been raised to eternal life. The sting of death would have been eternal death. And when the Bible speaks about eternal death, it is a real living hell. Now that sting for the believer is gone. All that remains is a dark valley through which you will not walk alone. Now, what I'd like us to do is to trace the promise of resurrection to everlasting life through the Bible. To do so, in order to show us what a big deal it is, in order to let the Word of God dispel any doubts you have as Christians about the resurrection. Now, I don't mean questions about how the resurrection will happen. So, my soul going to heaven when I die and my body being raised from the grave uh, later. I don't want us to speculate on what our resurrection bodies will be like, although they'll be a lot nicer than what I'm looking at, and a lot nicer, well, than what you are looking at. The Bible says some stuff about that, but not much. What the Bible wants to make us absolutely clear on is the fact of the literal, physical resurrection. And I want to show you the promises of resurrection from the Bible to shore up doubts that we have. Now, if you're not yet a convinced Christian, I want to encourage you to come back tonight or listen online to Johnny as he takes us through the evidence in Luke's eyewitness account of the facts of the physical, literal resurrection of Jesus. Now, firstly, in the Old Testament, and have a look in your service sheet, you'll see a couple of passages from the book of Daniel. Why have we chosen Daniel? Well, it is written hundreds of years before Jesus lived, about 500 it is a prophetic book. It contains prophecies that look forward to events that will take place in the future. It's written in apocalyptic language, and that might seem a bit odd to you. Uh, it's not odd, it's just different from what we're used to. If you were in another part of the world today, everyone would think, well, what's all this uh, 1 Peter stuff? That's odd. That's apocalyptic stuff, I understand. It just speaks in, in visual ways that engages our emotions. That's just the purpose of it. Now, the reason I've chosen Daniel is because it contains in its prophecies some of the clearest predictions that are fulfilled in the life of Jesus hundreds of years later. And I want to show you that many of these promises have been fulfilled, and therefore the promises that we have not yet experienced or seen or have evidence for our resurrection, although we have Jesus' resurrection for evidence, we can believe them because they are in a group of promises, many of which have been fulfilled. So Davy read from Daniel 7. It's a, a picture 
of a, a son of man being led into the presence of the Ancient of Days. It's a coronation. Jesus, in his life, said, I am the Son of Man. I am this Son of Man that Daniel, in his prophecy, was pointing to. I am the one in Daniel 9. I am the Messiah who has been cut off. That's his death. And the prophecy in Daniel 7 about the Son of Man is a prophecy of Jesus' coronation after his death, after his resurrection, as King of God's everlasting kingdom. Jesus died, he was raised, he returned to the Father in heaven and was made king. Read the Gospels and you will read of Jesus who came, who lived, who died, the Messiah, the Anointed One cut off from the land of the living, who was raised, who ascended to his Father and was crowned. Now, if Daniel 7 is a prophecy that embraces the resurrection of Jesus, written hundreds of years before these things were fulfilled in Jesus, then Daniel 12 is a prophecy about the resurrection of believers. That's the second uh, Bible passage on your sheet. Just read it with me, and I'll walk you through it. At that time shall arise Michael. Michael's uh, an archangel. Uh, an archangel to angels is what the Archbishop of Canterbury is to bishops a big angel or a big bishop. Angels are real. They are spiritual beings. They are as real as the devil is real. Now, what this verse is talking about at the end of Daniel is a time of trouble in the last times. And I think it's referring to just the period that we live in between the coming and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus' gospel, this new covenant in Jesus, is abroad on the earth, it will be opposed and his people will be opposed. Which is what happened today in Sri Lanka. Many oppose and reject Jesus. Many oppose and reject the followers of Jesus. Let's read on. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, what this is referring to is the resurrection of people when Jesus returns to establish the new creation at the end of time. People whose names are in the book, elsewhere in the Bible called the book of life. Believers will be delivered. And believers who have died before Jesus returns, those who sleep in the dust of the earth, shall awake to everlasting life. This is a prophecy of the bodily resurrection of believers at the end of time. But note it's not just believers who will be raised. Believers will be raised bodily to everlasting life. Unbelievers will be raised bodily to shame and everlasting contempt. 
Verse 3 returns to the eternal destiny of believers. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And the last verse in the prophecy of Daniel, you see it on the sheet there, but go your way till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. What a great verse that is. What a verse to hold on to, to live out the rest of your days on the earth. Go your way till the end of your life, and you will rest. You will rest your soul in heaven. Your body will rest in the grave, and you will stand or rise at the last, and you will take your allotted place at the end of the days. Now, why are we reading this from Daniel? These prophecies about the future, eternity, what's still to happen, about the resurrection of your body and my body if we are believers, indeed the resurrection of all people to face Jesus as judge, they are written in a book hundreds of years before Christ came alongside prophecies about Christ coming, about His death about his resurrection, about his ascension, and about his coronation as king. And the prophecies, therefore, that have not yet been fulfilled, written in a book alongside those that have, give us confidence, give me confidence that God's promises are true. Now, if you are thinking that Jesus' own resurrection is the clincher, you're right. But these books in the Old Testament are precious to us because we can trace their fulfillment through history. Let's go into the New Testament. You'll see on the sheet 1 Peter I've chosen. 1 Peter, written to Christians under pressure for their faith. We used it this morning when we prayed for our gospel partners. 1 Peter is a great letter, though, that I will often turn to with Christians just in the general experience of suffering in life. Christians are not exempt from suffering that comes in normal life, whether through illness or anxiety or dying or grief. You know, we need to be careful with language like, oh, what's God doing through this? The only answer we can have certainty in that is He's getting us through this into everlasting life. We just live in a world that is so bleak and fallen. I mean, how fallen is it? Mortality is running at 100%. That's pretty bleak. That is bleak. I mean, it is bleak. Anyone think it's not bleak? It is bleak. Really bleak. Awful. What a, what a world to live in. That's what the gospel answers. Christians are no different from the suffering they experienced. When Stephen died, he never asked the question, why me, why me? I mean, we can't answer these questions. What the Christian does have, though, and what Stephen had in abundance, is a different perspective in the suffering in life. One of the great truths of the gospel is deliverance in the struggles of life. 
And the realm I'm talking about there is, is the really tough stuff of life, not the, just the grist to the mill that, you know, I, I've got this coming up and I'm worried about it and my faith helps me. That's true. I'm talking about the really, really real tough stuff. The Holy Spirit living in the believer gives them hope. New birth, new life, the first fruits of resurrection life. Let's go into Peter's words. They're better than mine. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What is the basis of our being born again to this living hope? What grounds it? What is behind it? What makes it not just words but real? Answer, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to encourage you, if you're not a convinced Christian, not to be foolish enough to bypass a serious, rigorous, empirical, scientific investigation of the evidence around Jesus' life and claims to divinity, his death and his resurrection. Very strong, compelling evidence. Investigate it simply for this reason, that when you die and you discover then it were all true, would you not wish that you at least gave a tiny amount of time to consider it? And what is our living hope as Christians? It is resurrection, Peter writes, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. There is a place being kept for you in heaven when you die, a place for your soul, and in the new creation, there is a place for your resurrected uh, body. And if this sounds like pie-in-the-sky escapism, it is rooted into the teaching of the man who, by what he did, rightly claims divinity, and the man who gave his life for us and was raised to life. It's from someone who died and was raised. It's not from a preacher who's been persuaded this is a better way to navigate through life. Jesus said, this world is not eternity. There will be a new creation that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Nothing on this earth, however beautiful it is, even Perthshire, we came back last night and the moon was red, even pressure is not imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Nothing in this world is imperishable, undefiled, or unfading. One of the questions believers often ask is, I understand that there will be an eternity, a new creation, but will I get there? Will I, like Daniel, be able to go my way until the end and keep safe, keep faith? Well, God will ensure you are kept for eternity and the glorious inheritance of everlasting life is kept for you, and you are kept for it. Peter writes, You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It is kept for you. You are kept for it. In this, verse 6, you rejoice. In what? In the living hope of resurrection 
to everlasting life. And Peter, just so we are crystal clear, this is not some kind of pie-in-the-sky stuff, roots it into the reality of life. In this, the future, resurrection, you rejoice, even though now in this world you are experiencing grief in various trials, of which there must be a good few represented in this room. There will be people in this room who have incurable illnesses. There will be people in this room whose lives are paralyzed by mental health illnesses. There will be people in this room that are racked with all manner of stuff. And the gospel speaks right into that. In the hope of resurrection, you rejoice. Grounded in the fact of Christ's resurrection, though now on this earth you experience grief in all kinds of trials, these have come. Why do Christians suffer like everybody else? Not to test their faith. That's as if God is there with a big stick to poke us. Let's see how strong their faith is. Poke. They're not there to test our faith. They're there to prove the genuineness of our faith. That's what tested genuineness means. If you put a ring in a fire and it's not made of gold, there won't be much left. If you put a ring in a fire and it's made of gold, unless the temperature is so intense, it will be refined in that fire and purer gold, even though it will perish when the heat is turned right up. Real faith never perishes because it's supernatural. It's Christ in you. Back to Stephen. Had he not had real faith? And when he was a lawyer, he would have persuaded himself it was illogical. Had he not had real faith? however much David and I and others sang to him or Claire loved him and all that stuff, and I'm not being sentimental. This is real life. His faith would have deserted him. And what happened is it grew stronger and stronger and stronger. That's... I've written in my notes, this is what I was referring to earlier, which is what I just said, having not looked at what I've written. There you go. You see, when you die, what do you want with you? What do you want? Do you want things? No, you want people. You don't want perishable things when you die. You want imperishable things. People, and most of all, the Lord Jesus... Now, is your heart missing a beat? And it's a Scottish heart. Many of you have Scottish hearts, and emotion is not something that we do very well at all. Just there needs to be a little bit of emotion in your heart, in your mind. And Peter just gets that when he says next. What does he say next? He says, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. And right now, at this moment, on Easter Day 2019, in this room, precisely at this moment, in some way, you are being convicted in your souls of your eternal salvation. You are experiencing now the salvation of your souls. You have not seen Jesus, but you love him as if he were your very own. And he is. And he is. Let me finish with Jesus' promise and proof of resurrection. These wonderful words from Jesus to Martha in John 11. Martha's brother Lazarus had died, a man, a family who Jesus loved. I remember listening to these words read in a service on Radio 4. Radio 4 is wonderful often, but not always. And they were read with a kind of great big kind of pomp and circumstance, you know, with a fanfare. I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes. But that's not how it was. This was Jesus to his friend's sister, crying. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, they shall live. Anyone who believes in me, even though they die, do you believe this, Martha? And how does she answer? She doesn't answer with warmth. She kind of recites a, a creed to him. Yes, Lord, I believe it with gritted teeth. That's real. And she came to the point where, in deep humility, she trusted Jesus. Absolutely. Jesus promises resurrection, and then he proves his promise by raising Lazarus from the dead. We can read that account in John's Gospel, but the proof of the promise is seen supremely in Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. Now, you might think if you're not a Christian, that's not possible, and you're right. It's not possible or explicable by natural law. Absolutely not. It's supernatural. It has to be divine. It has to be something that God does, because we can't do it as humans. But you've got to read about it and reason with the evidence. I mean, this fool in front of you stakes his life on it, and he's quite a skeptical fellow. Totally persuaded. Still having many, many sentences that begin with a question, why? Or how long? Or what on earth are you doing, God? But I know that Jesus Christ was dead and is alive. That's what matters in the end. Whoever believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's his question, not mine. Do you believe this? The glorious light of resurrection can only be fully and rightly understood when set against the awful blackness and reality of death. Good Friday, the death of Jesus, is barely a few days separated from the resurrection of Jesus. The glorious light of resurrection set against the awful reality of death and which one wins in this life, in this world, in this worldview that we live and breathe. Life is followed by death. What Jesus did is he reverses the order and death is followed 
by life. And that's the Christian gospel. It's as simple as that. Jesus died to forgive your sins and offers to all who believe new birth and resurrection to eternal glory. That's worth taking and receiving or thinking seriously about in anyone's book. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that we would take seriously the offers of salvation that Jesus brings to us. However many questions we have or however many doubts we have, help us, Lord, if we aren't yet Christians, to to take time to really think through this stuff and to consider and evaluate the evidence. And if we have to put our faith and trust in Jesus, not to answer all the questions we have, not to to answer questions about important, but not things at the very heart of Christian faith. Help us to answer questions about Jesus, who he was, why he died, and the evidence of his resurrection. Thank you for the glorious promise that has come home to many of our hearts that we believe that Jesus is for us the resurrection and the life, and that even though we die on this earth, we will be raised to life eternal. What a glorious gospel. What a glorious day is Resurrection Day. The sun shines on us today, but to have the Son, the Son of God, shine in His righteousness upon us is a whole different ballgame. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for hope. And pray you would seal these words to our hearts and souls. For Jesus' sake. Amen.